This episode of Café de René has been brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped, the number one choice for men's below-the-belt grooming. Featuring the new and improved Lawnmower 4.0 with a built-in LED light, ceramic blade for a closer cut, and also completely waterproof. To get that, but also including the rest of the package, including your ball deodorant, t-shirt, free boxes, weed whacker, please head over to manscaped.com, use the code CAFE, not only will you get all that, you will also get free shipping and also 20% off. So yep, please, head over to Manscaped, use the code CAFE, and your balls will thank you. Bonjour, welcome to another edition of Café de René. I am riding shotgun today, James Tunstall, joined once again by the start of show, Mr. René Free. René, how are you doing today? I'm hurting for a squirting. What? <laughs> what are we talking about today, by the way? Well, we put to a fan's topic and... Goddamn! Everyone wants to talk about Jim Cornette. Motherfucker! Disclaimer, Jim Cornette, if you're watching this, I'm a big fan, we're just having fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna have fun, bud. It's gonna be quick, because I was only around in five months. So. Oh, yeah. Before we do get into everyone, uh, hang around to the end of the episode for another guest announcement. And also, uh, let me get this. Also, um, if you could please subscribe, the number's getting higher and higher. Renee's going back to Japan in about three weeks, is it now, Renee? Two. Two? Yes. So everyone, please hit that subscribe button. We want to hit 4,000 uh, subscribers before he goes to Japan, but we've got some great news when he goes go to Japan because uh, we've got some great guests coming from over there potentially, so we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, everyone hit that subscribe button, share with your friends, really supports the channel, and uh, keep doing it, and we'll keep giving you all this content. So, right, Renee, we'll jump into Jim Cornette. So... First question, when did you first came aware of uh, Jim Cornette? <laughs> Fuck, 20 years ago at that trial camp in um, Cincinnati. So, yeah, it was February, it was February of 2002. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's Jim now. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn, motherfucker! Uh, yeah, so it was a week-long tryout, and like every day there'd be different people show up. I think it was on a Wednesday after, because SmackDown tapings were usually on Tuesday. So then the Wednesday, like a whole group of people showed up, and he was he was there with Danny Davis. Yeah, yeah. So, like Jimmy, that. fuck off! Okay. <laughs> Did you uh, watch much of uh, Jim on TV before you did your tryouts? Only time I was ever aware of him was from WWF. Right. You know what I mean? Because I can't remember seeing him in WCW. Because I think by the time he was on, because 
TBS only got here like in the, I think by the time they got on TV here in Canada, he was probably already gone. I mean, right. Right. Because I remember Bobby Eaton, but Bobby Eaton wasn't tagging. He was by himself on TBS when I was watching it here in Canada. So, cool. So, what was your first interaction like with uh, Jim? <laughs> trying to think. Well, the first time I, because he's he, he's famous for blowing up, right? Yes. I got him. First time I seen it, <laughs> it was like my first day there. It was the first day in the new Davis Arena, okay? So they had this security guard backstage called, they called him Fudd, because he looked like Elmer Fudd. And uh, picture Elmer Fudd, but with the Festus face, you know, he kind of looked like that. And he was a security. He was cross-eyed. So, so he was backstage just basically being a doorstop because I didn't see what other fucking use he was, you know. And fucking Jimmy just fucking blew up after him and told me to waddle his fat ass out of here. And God damn, motherfucker. And I actually felt bad for the guy. I was like, Jimmy, come on, man. Look at this guy. He's, he's you know, he's never been laid before. And he goes, God damn it, eh? he has three kids. So welcome to Kentucky. Right. Uh, cool. So, um, your first segment, if I'm wrong, in OVW, and obviously that's what Jim Cornette was running at the time. I mean, obviously, successful mini company, like, produced so many big stars from it. Um, we've had a few on our show. Um, your first segment was when uh, Kenny Boland brought you to the ring and you had the conversation, uh, the promo with him and Cornette. Is that right? Yeah. That's why I was wearing a suit, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that would be my first, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they gave me a good push. OBW. I think I was mm. undefeated. I was undefeated until my last, until I wrestled Matt Morgan when I was off. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was Cornet's fault of you when he first saw you? Because obviously Cornet... Um, not so much like Vince likes the big guys, but he likes to see a wrestler look like a wrestler. Yeah. When he, what was his first reaction when he saw you? Obviously, your young 19-year-old. Yeah, he came up with the name French Phenom. Right. Yeah, he came up with the name, and he also came up with the name of La Resistance. Really? Yep. He did a promo one time, because he would write out promos, and then he, he had to finish it with Vive La Resistance. But... Yeah, he liked me because he knew that he could write good TV and with the whole French gimmick, it was easy easy to write television, right? Especially in the South, when you got an anti-American gimmick, it's so easy. Oh, yeah. Um, who were some of his other favorites in OVW during your time? Well, Doug and Danny Basham. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Nick Densmore, Rob Conway, because they were the core, the core group, right? Yep. And, uh, then he, I think his wife, his wife was a part, had it, had her own group called the Disciples of Sin. That's right. And then, you know, Kenny Bowling was his best friend. And then it's like any other fucking job. It's like all your buddies are going to have a job, right? 
So you mentioned uh, <laughs> him blowing up against uh, Fudd straight away. What was oh, the other times you saw him blow up? I can well, imagine he was only there for five months. I can imagine this. Oh, I've seen it so many times. You're uh, Sean O'Hare's brother. Yeah, Sean O'Hare had a brother. His name was Shan. Right. Shane. Okay. So Shane was, uh, how can I say, very well endowed. He had a big penis. So he was wearing these tights and it was visible that you could see like. So he did his match. I think it was a tag match and Jimmy was doing the commentating and fucking as soon as they're done, Jimmy fucking I could hear him yelling from the office, slams the door, walks into like this little dressing room thing that we're in. And he starts yelling at Sean. What is the goddamn joke stuff in your fucking tights? And Sean was like, Jimmy, they're not stuffed. It's my dick's that big. And I, the whole room. It was fucking hilarious. And then Jimmy just gets red and just fucking didn't say a word and just walked back to the office. Like it was funny. But where fucking do tights? Go ahead. What? No, you carry on. You've got one. There was a Santino famous incident, but I wasn't there for that. Right. But that's ultimately what got him uh, got him released, right? Uh, someone in the uh, chats, um, in the comments, they asked the question um, about you doing a phone call and it costing over $100. Oh, yeah. Right, tell us about it. So... I called them for something, right? Now, mind you, I, I came from Canada. I was 18, and I had a Canadian cell phone. Now, I had, like, an international phone plan, right? So I could call anywhere in the United States. It was one set price a month for my phone bill. He obviously didn't. So I called him. There was no answer, but then he calls me back. Now, I'm not thinking about this. I'm 18. I'm not thinking about him not having a you know phone plan or whatever so we ended up talking for you know a good 30 40 minutes and then uh you know it was all good positive so he calls me up and then we're talking for a good 30 40 minutes and about the next month i think it was danny yeah i think it was danny davis he said renee jimmy just got his phone bill he's coming over here he's fucking hot it was a hundred $85. So I forget who I was with. I said, drive me to an ATM. So I collected and I got a hundred, I got $200 ready. So as soon as he walked in the door, he was red. The fucking steam was coming out of his fucking ears. I said, before you say anything, here's $190. And then all of a sudden, like the temperature in his face, he started to like regain his color. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, then I heard his podcast. He saying he claimed it was $125. Well, I gave you 190. So that means off that 30 minute phone call, you made $65 profit. So you have no fucking reason to complain. My point of view. So there, that's the story. 
I can just imagine when you say these temperatures going down, you know, them ferometers when it's like red at the top and it just drips. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what it is. What was he as a, obviously, I, I do think he's a bit of a creative genius. Some people don't, but during your time there, like he's booking, was what parts of his booking did you, was you really impressed by and what really like stood out to you? I didn't really pay that much attention. I can't really remember. I was just concentrating on stuff that I was, and I was really concentrating on getting the hell out of there and going up to the main roster as fast as possible. I mean, when you first get there after, you know, three, four months, it's fun because it's different and it's new, right? But being that young and impatient, plus I'm just impatient as is and I get bored easily. Uh, I was just concentrating on on my stuff. But I mean, I remember when they bring in big names like Benoit and Kane and stuff. That was always cool. One of the matches I remember seeing was Doug Basham, who was super underrated. Nobody gives him credit for being a great, badass fucking wrestler against Benoit. That was some good, good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, I um, I, I had Doug Basham on my show, and uh, we'll probably be bringing him on here sooner rather than later. And uh, spoke about his match with Benoit, and we actually spoke about him in depth, and he was so pleased with how the match went. Yeah, yeah. No, Jimmy, like, Jimmy talks so much and just goes off so much. Like, for example, the, the French Phenom came from him. The tag team name, the resistance came from him. And he didn't think about it. He just talk, 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 talk. He'll say something that picks up, right? So, but he, he even admits it that he's wrestling crazy. You know? Yeah. And, you know, he's... When you obsess over anything, eventually you're gonna get good ideas coming from it, right? That's my point. Yeah. It's safe to say he did not enjoy uh, Connecticut or the offices. And uh, the one person who I don't know if hates but despises is uh, Johnny Ace. Um, oh fuck did yeah! You, did you hear many interactions between the two? <laughs> no, but here's the thing: like, weren't they together in WCW? I think they worked together. It was the Dynamic Dudes yeah. versus the Midnight Express. That's right, right? Yeah. yeah. And Johnny didn't have much success there. And he went over to Japan, right? And then, see, like, Jim Ross was Jimmy's saving grace. Like, OBW was was created because Jim Ross made it happen, right? It was Jim, Jim, Jimmy's idea, but Jim Ross is the one that fucking, because he was the one, uh, Vince's right-hand man at the time, right? But, like, in the 2000s, like, when I got there, uh, J Jim Ross was slowly getting phased out, and they were grooming fucking Johnny for that position. And I think, yeah, I think Johnny had definitely had had it out for John for Jimmy maybe from something in the past or just like he had his own vision of what he wanted you know because I know a lot of the agents were in Florida like they lived in Florida and they fucking hated coming to Louisville on their off day like it was every Wednesday was a different agent right and you could tell they didn't want to be there because they were always in a bad mood <laughs> 
So like a, his great job was to create FCW with Steve Kern to get the development. Right. Yeah. I remember Pat, Pat wanted it to be out of Connecticut, out of Stanford. That way there at McMahon's like Vince and Shane, Stephanie, they all lived there, Hunter. They, they could see it firsthand. They could just drive to the offices and see firsthand what they, you know what I mean? Yeah, but he hated he hated Johnny Ace, big time. Did you see much interaction between himself and uh, Pat Patterson? No, no, no. Do you reckon they would have been two people that would have got along? No, I can't see it. No, I can't see it at all. Is there I anyone that you know, that would have got along with? Kentucky and a fucking homosexual from Montreal? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so uh, during your time in Novi W, like I said, it was only a short time, it was five months, but um, and you mentioned he came up with a French phenom and Larry Sistons, um, and he seemed to be impressed with you at the start. During these uh, months were going by, what was the other feedback coming from Jim? And in, I don't know if you can't speak for Jim, but in in your opinion, did Jim think that you had a big future, like yes. what you gathered from him? Yes, but he, he was right in one that I should have not gotten called up so young. Because I remember it was actually in Cincinnati. It was a Cincinnati raw taping. Pat Patterson was there, and he wanted me to tag with Sly. But I had hurt my shoulder. It wasn't bad enough. It wasn't bad enough to where I couldn't wrestle. But Jimmy made sure I didn't wrestle. Because he knew he knew the deal. He knew he knew. Okay, this this is Pat, Sly is Pat Patterson's boy. Sly is not good enough. Renee is still young, but he's a quick learner. As soon as Pat sees fucking Sly and Renee in the ring together, they're getting called up. Even if there was no fucking resistance with the French not going to war, we would have been. It wouldn't have taken us long to get the fuck out of Louisville. Trust me. You know what I mean? So that's why what he... Was, uh, Go ahead. Now you carry on. So that's why Jimmy stepped in and said, no, don't work the dark match. I forget who tagged with uh, Sly that, that night. Could have been Nova, maybe? Right. Uh, Sly, of course, got the dark match. Like, forget yeah. Dinsmore or Basham or Damager or Conway. Now Sly. Um, well, I have to ask is that he's famous for blowing up. Was there any other wrestlers like during your time, like in the ring, wrestling a match and all of a sudden just blew up at him? The blue, what? <laughs> now, was there a time when you was like round the ring and there was two wrestlers in the ring and all of a sudden Jim just blew at them? He blew up at me one time. Yeah. As I was helping the baby faces set up the ring at uh, the flea market, Derby Park Expo 5. He got there early and I was fucking bored, so I just helped carry some pipes, you know, some the ring posts. And he just fucking stay like, this fucking fuck my face, <laughs> call me a stupid motherfucker, you're killing my business. Sorry, business, uh, sorry, Jim, but your business at that point in time was drawing 50 people a show, all right? That's a fact. Yeah. The only, like, 
he see like he goes off and says that his TV to 500 of my fans. First of all, that place held maybe Davis Arena held 300. Yeah. And they got in for free. They didn't pay to get in there every week. Yeah. The one I remember talking with Danny Davis, the one night they had decided to do like a, a benefit show or something that it actually tried. I think it was like five dollars. It could have been as low as two dollars. They decided to charge like 60 people showed up. Yeah, it was always the same fucking crew of people every week, same seats, right? It's, so, like, um, was, was that? Go ahead. No, it's it's amazing because he talks about the houses he drew back in the day, which obviously NWA, Midnight Express, and Road Warriors to drew unbelievable houses like every week. But yeah, it's amazing. Like, and this was 2002, 2000, yeah, 2002, 2003. So, yeah. yeah, wrestling not as popular as what it was, say, two years earlier, but it was still fairly popular. But to only draw them type of crowds like during what this I time. is like wherever they put <clears throat> wherever they put a developmental territory yeah it fucking killed WWF's business in that territory it really did it's like it took the mystique away from one would think oh we saw these guys when they were you know before they were superstars and stuff now we get to see them but to me it takes away the mystique of the big show it's like you want to see, it's almost like you want to see them as stars. You don't want to see them before they were stars and see them. You know what I mean? Because it was like that in Cincinnati too, because they had HWA, right? Heartland Wrestling Association. Yeah. I remember going there with SmackDown. Like Cincinnati, man, was fucking empty. Uh, Columbus did okay, but I remember Cincinnati was dead for fucking SmackDown. Raw would do well. Raw would sell out, but SmackDown wouldn't draw shit. Um, it's um, yeah, like like the wrestling business so exposed now. Like growing up, you know, I used to watch Hogan, Warrior, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, and obviously, and I wasn't really aware of like when they first started. Um, the first time I saw Hulk Hogan was watching Rocky Free Thunderlips. Right. <laughs> but it's now now it's so exposed. Like you know. And it's bad, and I'm guilty of it myself because I go on the internet, but it's like, you know everything about these wrestlers before they even get called up to the main roster, and how are they supposed to get over if, you know, you know everything about them? And my biggest pet peeve is when people complain about name changes, and they they make it a big deal, and I'm like, well, it's not a big deal. Do you know how many wrestlers have name changes? Like, you know, going away for a few months and have name change, but a lot of fans are like, why don't they just keep them that name? And I'm like, because no one's seen them on the indies. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's uh, crazy, but but so coming towards the end of your running OVW, do you personally wish you stayed there for perhaps another five months, or did you just want to get out of there? I wish there would have been more places to go to. You know what I mean? Like a real, like, like okay, I stayed there six months. Okay, we'll go to uh, Florida for six months. We'll go to Texas for six months. That makes it more interesting. You know what I mean? Because when you're working the same fucking spot shows and flea markets and uh, hotel ballrooms, you know, after a while that gets pretty fucking old, right? So like, if there was like six months there, maybe go to uh, or even go to Europe for six months. 
or go to Texas six months, go to California for six months, then you get called up to TV, right? That would have been a better system, in my opinion, if it was done that way. But yeah, you could, I mean, obviously, you've had a great career, Renee, and obviously, you're going back to Japan in a couple of weeks, but makes you think had you come along a little bit later, you would have had. FCW and say uh, TNA just that was like grown a bit and obviously a couple more places like Ring of Honor and stuff. It's like you kind of came like three or four years a little bit too early. <laughs> Probably. Well, um, not really. I've broken records and done things that nobody else has ever done. I'm yeah. still the youngest champion in history. Oh yeah, we're not counting Nicholas. If anyone says Nicholas is the youngest tag team champion, like youngest champion, for have a word with yourself. <laughs> Until this, he put, as you say his name, you think of me because I'm the reason why they did that. Yeah. Just get back at me. Same thing like they um, they broke Demolition's record with the New Day because of yeah. that. It was because of that lawsuit, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so when you get in the when you get the call up, uh, it's something we'll probably put on the topics one day. You getting called up to the main roster, but. Um, you got the call up to the main roster. So what was Jim's reaction? Um, I think he, he could tell that. Uh, like the, Because we went up there with the whole French thing and the French thing was hot because it was in the media. But he realized that in a couple of months, nobody's going to give a fuck about the French anymore. It's just a hot thing now. But that's just. Fuck, that's wrestling, right? Look at the Iron Sheik. He became world's champion because of the fucking, you know, the Iranian problem that the Americans had at that point in time, right? It's just timing, right? Do you think there's a wrestling company out there that will be brave enough to have a Russian heel with what's happening now? No. No, the world's too fucking sensitive. If you was promoted... Or if he was in WWE as one of the head agents or writers, or if he was Vince McMahon or Tony Khan or whoever, would you personally like thinking, fuck it, go for it? Or would you be like, nah, it's too edgy, too risky? Jimmy Yang was on here or was on a, a podcast and said that they lost running their live events. And this was in 2019 when they were running full time, right? Their live uh, event, yeah, 2019, yes. Yeah. Their live event business lost $16 million. Right? They, they, they spent $17 million on promoting their live events, or $17.5 million, and the live events only brought in $1.5 million. Think about that for a second. They're making their money through fucking TV sponsorships and TV networks. Yes. You don't want to piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Any way, shape, or form. That's why they're fucking, they're, they got scripted promos. That's why they got scripted matches. Dun, 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 dun. Because if they yeah. had to rely on doing business the old way, they'd be fucking bankrupt. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, I mean, we all know AEW is currently running at a loss. Um Apparently, they've got a plan in place that they plan on losing money for the first five years, then they think they'll turn a profit. I think that's, I think that's a bad business idea, but that's just... 
Yeah, with the way the fucking uh, economy is going now with the inflation, yeah, they'll be lucky if they can fucking sell out a bingo hall. Yeah, with the way the fucking economy is going. Yeah, but now that's very wise, Renee. That's just WWE really are making the money for, and they're making good money from the TV deals and the Saudi spon- uh, the Saudi shows and that. But yeah, they don't want to piss off them networks. So um, right, so that's Jim Cornette. Oh. Last question before I go to the fan questions, Renee. Um, after you got called up, did you ever meet uh, Jim Connor again? Or did you ever come in? Motherfucker! At a Ring of Honor show in Chicago for WrestleMania 22. I went there with Paul London. Right. This is after he got fired. <laughs> he was just sitting there watching. I think he had a Sprite like he always did. And he yeah. says, Forget you won't admit it, but he took a lot of Xanax. Right. Yeah, he, he took a lot of Xanax for his anxiety. Because, I mean, he, he spent his life in the wrestling business. I don't give a... And plus, he worked, like, the Mid-South Territory. You work a territory like that with all those hours in a car and fucking people trying to kill you, you will develop mental fucking illness. I don't give a fuck. Like, the wrestling business will fuck you up in one way, shape, or form. <laughs> No. <laughs> you're a fan, you're fucking gung-ho. Come talk to me 10 years later after you had a full-time run and you're, you'll be fucking, you're not the same person. <laughs> this, is, this is why I do a podcast. I just talk about it. I'm not actually in right. it. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, I see well, him after uh, Ring of Honor and then I think shortly after that he started booking for him, I think. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah. Hey, he went to TNA. He did. He had TNA, and yeah. I think he went back to Ring of Honor again. And he went back to TNA. He got fired by both of them. Um, yeah. He was in TNA actually a couple of years ago, but he got fired again because he couldn't go into Canada. Because I don't know if he legally he can't go into Canada. No, he can't. <laughs> um, he, got fired, he got fired from MLW, right? Yeah. Then he got fired from the <laughs> Then he got. I'm surprised he hasn't got fired from his podcast yet. Well, he's, to be fair, his podcast is pretty popular. I tune into it. it he is uh, hilarious. Uh, honestly, I, I enjoy it. It is. No, that that Ryan. that that that's uh, the best thing for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because without. He's like such a wrestling fan, wrestling. He, he loves it. It's in his blood. Without that podcast, he'd probably either die from a drug overdose or kill somebody or suicide or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last two questions before I go to the fan questions, Renee. Uh, as a manager, I know you, well, you said you didn't really watch him much, but where do you rank him amongst wrestling managers of all time? For his talking ability, he's right. Everything. Uh, Me personally, he's number two behind Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan's mine and blonde all the time. Yeah, yeah. And they're both from, and they're both from Kentuckyana, because Jimmy's from Louisville. Right. And, uh, Bobby was from Indianapolis, Indiana. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See that that part of the country. Uh, 
there's a lot of great talent that came out of that that part of the country, man. What the United States? I would love to do a Bobby Heenan episode, just a retrospective over his career. <laughs> yeah, I love I love Bobby Heenan. <laughs> you was fucking great, wasn't he? As and as for Jim Cornette as a booker, where would you put him? Well, it's hard to say because, I mean, I w- I didn't really watch any Smoky Mountain. Right. And, it, and it's kind of hard to judge it by that because of where the business was at that point in time. It was a yeah. shit everywhere at that point in time. My dad shut down his territory in 1990. Yeah. Last year, and he ran, I think, Smoky Mountain was, what, 91, 92 to 94? Yeah, about that. Yeah, early 90s, yeah. Yeah. Wrestling was fucking dead. The only place the wrestling was... Well, no, WWF did get... What killed WWF's business is the fucking steroid and ring boy trial. Yeah, that was 92, 93, I think. Uh, 93, I think. Well, yeah, Hogan... Hogan... uh, left basically during 92 and he made a brief return 93 but 92 was when the business started to have a decline like a serious decline yeah big time yeah. big time yeah. i uh, suppose the main question i ask you who's better him or paul Heyman? because <laughs> that they're, they're two people that gets compared to a lot with each other yeah well Paul Heyman still works for WWE. <laughs> I'm sure making a healthy paycheck. And Jim Cornette has gotten fired from every company. <laughs> but he has the number one podcast in wrestling. It's true. Nobody, nobody's better than him. No. So I think in terms of, I don't know. I don't really don't know. It's a tough one. Uh, they always get compared to, like, because everyone says Bobby Heenan's the greatest manager, but they say it's a fight between Cornette and Heyman, like, who's number two? And it's it's long, I don't know about, well, longevity, Heyman, he's been in the business for a while now when you think about it, because he started off in WCW uh, when he was, like, early well, 20s. He started off before that. He started off in Memphis. Bam, right. Bam, Bam, Bam Bigelow is the one that got him his first actual wrestling gig in Memphis. Right, I know that. Yeah, Jerry Lawler broke his jaw. Right. Yeah. Oh. But Yeah, but I think, yeah, Paul started off as a promoter, first and foremost. Studio 54 in New York, he used to be this really famous nightclub. Or no, no, no. Was it Studio 54 or the China Club? I think it was Studio 54. Yeah, he promoted his first, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, no, because, no, Heyman started in territory, started in Memphis, and I think he went down to, uh, yeah, he worked for Bill Watson Mid-South. That's another guy who got, he was a fucking heat seeker. I think Bill fired him. Jerry Lawler broke his jaw. He (laughs) got fired from WCW and sued them. Yeah. Then he started his own promotion, and Personally, I think ECW, a lot of people put it over and praise it. 
I personally think it really harmed the business. Personally, yeah, I've said a few times. Don't get me wrong; I enjoy like me leather matches, like Jeff Hardy, for example. But ECW, I enjoy the storyline angles. The, the angles are great, especially a lot of the a lot of the Raven stuff is great. He's mainly the main catalyst for a lot of it. But once you do all these hardcore matches, extreme matches, and it's not just one match a night or one match of pay per view; it's every match. It's like, what can you do next? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. But, uh, cool. Well, Renee, uh, I suppose we'll jump onto some fan questions. Uh, so, fan questions are uh, loads of fan questions. So, this is uh, give, me three. Be... give me three, just three. Right. Three. Right. Um, all right. <laughs> One under. How many Wendy's triple cheeseburgers did you eat with Carney? And did Nova really ask people to pay for all of his food? Nova asked everybody to pay for his food. No, Nova was Nova was a, a yeah. He was an independent wrestler. You know, when you're an independent wrestler, you gotta fucking you know do what you gotta do to survive. And like you, even though you're on WWE, he wasn't making that much money. He was making a weekly guarantee, so you you never lose that. You understand? When you go through those yeah. struggles and stuff, it's like my father. My father was a multimillionaire, right? But he grew up during the depression. He grew up in wrestling where sometimes he never got paid. Sometimes it was a hot dog, but he never lost that his whole life. He's still like that where he fucking counts everything. Right. Right. Uh, question from Armani Molinari. Can't believe I pronounced that. Who would you pick in a fist fight between Cornette and Vince Russo? <laughs> I've never been, I never met Vince Russo. I, I did a, one of his uh, podcasts once, but I never met him in person. So I don't know. No. Can't tell you. What's your thoughts on the heat between the two? Heat, it's a war between the two. Well, it's more from Corny, <laughs> to be fair. Knowing now how much it takes to make money off YouTube views. Yeah. Right? And knowing how much money comes in from like X amount of views. How much money did Cornette make off of bashing Vince Russo? Thousands of dollars. Thousands. Yeah. So if we're in a business to make money, and baby, and Vince is playing the baby, uh, I mean, Jimmy's playing the baby face in his own mm. mind with his cult. Yeah. Vince Russo's obviously the heel. So how much money did fucking Jimmy make with Vince Russo? Think Shit about load. it. Shitloads. <laughs> Probably tens of thousands of dollars. Easy. Right? Uh, quick one here, male for Bond. On a scale of zero to ten, how bipolar is he? <laughs> I don't know if it's bipolar because I never see him down. Right. There's, def there's definitely mental health. There's something there. Yeah. The OCD. OCD. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist or a, a brain doctor or whatever, but there's def, definitely OCD because I had that too. Right. There's something, there's something. I, uh, definitely has anger management issues. <laughs> okay, one more question. One more. Uh, let's see. All right. Forgotten MMA. Did Jim Cornette have his own ring rats or was Wendy's his woman? Ring rats. Okay, well, okay. So. Did, 
there was a few allegations that came out during the Me Too stuff about him and his wife. Did you were you a part? Did you read all that shit? Oh yeah, <laughs> you couldn't escape. It was all over the place. So. So I, I remember. Think about the views. <laughs> so I remember there's this one blonde-haired girl. I'm I'm not naming names. Who was hired? She never made it to the main roster. She was friends with Jimmy and his wife, and her husband would show up to TVs on Wednesday. Now. Majority of the guys weren't allowed to have their girlfriend. Like, that was a no-no. It's always been a no-no. You keep your wife. Like, you don't, like, you wouldn't bring your wife to work with you and have you, right? You wouldn't do that. That's common fucking sense. It's, but this guy, who wasn't a wrestler, wasn't in the business, was allowed to come hang out. Now, this guy looked like a fucking shot-out Ronnie James Dio. Okay. So, picture Ronnie James Dio. Put up a picture. Possibly on a three-day crack bench. This is what this guy looked like. Wow. Uh, I remember going, I think I went to Dinsmore. Yeah. What's the deal with fucking fucking James Dio over there? And Nick Nick had a way of answering you when like he wouldn't say what it is, but you knew like not to talk about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, you'd sniff. You go, oh, yeah, they're Jimmy's friends. And he just nod like that and give you the eyes, like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there could be uh, possibly maybe some, because he liked to do home videos, right? Apparently, uh, this is what I've heard. Jimmy and his wife like to do home videos. And I think this certain blonde, yeah, the blonde was actually fairly attractive. Yeah. Yeah, she was fairly attractive. Her husband, not so much. But anyway, so, yeah. One more question. One more question. Uh, Let me get one more up. Uh, Quick one. Did you ever drink a Sprite with Jim? No, but that was his fucking drink of choice. Every fucking day. No, every TV. Because I only saw him once a week. Right. All right. And, Last and uh, yeah, he would drink. Dude, I don't understand how he couldn't. He could do a two-hour broadcast and not fucking piss himself. That's how much <laughs> he drank. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Right. Um, we, we've watched a question from Gonzalez Jason, 143. Um. We, we won't do a live uh, watch song that Dairy Queen has done because we've watched it previously, but what was your thoughts when, as you watched it, uh, Renee? <laughs> okay, say it again. The Dairy Queen incident. Someone asked us to do a watch song, but we've already watched it previously, but what was your reaction when you saw it? And did, did you see any more similar situations, like from Jim, like going to a burger bar or something like that? No, no. But yeah, it doesn't take much to set him off. I'm, I guarantee he'll see this and he'll get set off by something. 
I think we've spoken quite well of him, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I didn't call him a fucking, you know, four-eyed fucking hick from Kentucky. You know, I didn't say that. You know, I didn't say he looks like fucking, he looks like a fucking ball-headed geek with fucking spare tire wrapped around his waist. I didn't say that. <laughs> no, well, I, didn't, I didn't mind Jimmy at all. I actually like Jimmy. I, I mean, Jim Cornett, like, I know one of the cult members is going to be watching this and tagging him in. Open oh, invite, Jim. If you want to come on the show, you've got an open yeah. invite. We'd love to have you on. Yeah. No, I know. Brian last. Brian last, not so much, but Jim, we would love to have you on. <laughs> Who, who's, who's he? Oh, he's co-host. Oh, I don't know him. Yeah. He's like a, he's like a less aggravating Conrad Thompson. <laughs> Con man Thompson. Con, Con man Thompson. Man. My mistake today. <laughs> but, but yeah, Jim, open invite. You want to come on the show? We'd be glad to help. Yeah, uh, Jimmy, have you what on. the fuck? Yeah. I paid you that goddamn fucking phone bill, which was $65 more than what it fucking, uh, yeah. So technically, you can at least give me fucking 20 minutes. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, Renee, another great show. Uh, before we do go, uh, to everyone who's coming this week. So next week, we're going to have the, one of my favorite people in the world, along with her husband, Ronnie. They're incredibly talented. Carling Bingo, a.k.a. Jazz. Next week on the cafe. Cool. And yeah, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate all the comments you gave us. And uh, Renee's going to Japan in two more weeks. So we've got two more weeks of Renee being in Canada. But uh, we've got big plans for when he does return from Japan. Uh, watch alongs, live streams, and everything. So we've got some big plans for the channel going forward. But don't worry, everyone. We'll still be producing two episodes a week an interview every Monday, topic video every Thursday. So don't worry, everything's going to be the same. But if you could please hit that subscribe button, like, share. I know I say it a lot, but it really does help. When I used to watch YouTube videos, and I used to think, does it help these channels, these videos? It really does help. So hit subscribe, please like, comment, share. And yeah, and we'll keep producing this content for free. So Renee, any lasting words for our good audience? Don't eat the yellow snow. Au <laughs> revoir, everyone. Au revoir.